to my knowledge now, we're talking about this the other day, I, I barely ever use my medical student knowledge, ever. Like someone handed me an ECG the other day and I was just like, I've not looked at an ECG for at least three years. So That's like, so... <laughs> so there are there are things that, you know, like you say, there are specialties that you just get absolutely no kind of experience of mm. whilst you're a medical student, unless you go, go for it and go and look for it. Mm. So I think that's a really good idea of this podcast. A glowing review from the guests before we even start. Welcome to the Geeky Medics podcast. My name is Josh Chambers and this podcast selfishly gives me an excellent excuse to interview interesting doctors and healthcare professionals from a range of different backgrounds. As I'm sure you agree, medicine and healthcare is extremely vast in its opportunities and potential career paths. It can sometimes be daunting and difficult to know what certain careers are actually like in practice. With our guests, we drill down into why they chose the speciality they're in and what it's really like to do the job. In this episode, we have our first surgeon joining us, specifically diving into plastic surgery and surgical training. I hope you enjoy. episode we're joined by Colin Brewster. Colin is a plastic surgery registrar in the UK and talks to us about his life as a plastic surgeon and the demanding but fascinating surgical training pathway. So Colin Brewster thank you for joining us on the uh, Geeky Medics podcast. We haven't had a surgeon on which is um, my own fault. Uh, It's probably my my persuasion towards medicine but I haven't had much surgical experience um and you know we were just talking before we started the podcast about um you know actually not necessarily having much experience in plastic surgery as a medical student um so it's great to have you on thanks for joining us yeah thank you very much it's interesting to be the first surgeon yeah I apologize (laughs) (laughs) um so when, when did you first become interested in surgery I think in third year we went on a surgical placement and I was, I was invited to an operating theatre. I think it was a black coli or something. Um, and I just, there was something about the environment and something about just being able to see the difference that you were making. I think I always struggled a bit with physiology and kind of imagining that all this was happening behind mm. closed doors in mm. your, you know, these tiny cells and everything. And actually being able to see something be done to make a difference for me that that kind of clicked um and I always loved anatomy I've always been quite a practical person and so that just drew me straight into surgery and I just started to after that I just started to read about kind of different specialties what they do and just try to kind of seek more experience around each surgical specialty Mm. and did you go to a medical school that had lots of anatomy that you know or, or was it just something you enjoyed during during? So I, I went to Newcastle University with Lewis Potter actually oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and we so where we were at the start was in Durham and they had lots of um, anatomy they were really mm. good and so you always felt like you were taught that well and it gave you a really good foundation so that when the surgeon asked you in a in the operating theatre kind of what the anatomy of something was although terrified you were still able to kind of 
answer some of the questions that you were being asked. So yeah. I think that kind of set the foundations quite strongly for us. Mm. Um, and obviously Newcastle has got, it's, it's got the RVI, it's got the Freeman Hospital. So they've got lots of different surgical specialties and subspecialties for you to go and see. Um, and so that's why in fourth year, I did a specialist study component in plastic surgery. And after I saw that, I just, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So did you, did you have any surgical um, rotations in your foundation years that you, that you, where you your... Yeah. So I, so after that, I moved to London um, and I started on general surgery. I did mm-hmm. some orthopedics and then I went back to general surgery. I didn't manage to get plastic surgery in the area that I was in, in South London. It was quite difficult. There was only about three jobs. And so in foundation, I kept quite an open mind and I just said, I'm just going to try and kind of go to operating theatres and learn the bare basics um, and get that MRCS exam out of the way as soon as I could. Mm. And then once I got into core training, I, I got a plastics theme. So I had a couple of plastic surgery jobs at Chelsea, Westminster and Royal Free. And then that sort of set me up quite nicely for the registrar applications. Yeah. I've heard that the training for plastic surgery is um, quite tricky, <laughs> um, quite hard. Is that fair? Yeah, that it's fair quite statement? competitive. But I think, yeah, I think it's fair to say it's competitive. The numbers are better than they used to be. Certainly, um, so after, just after the millennium, I think it was extremely competitive. Lots mm-hmm. of numbers for very few jobs. Whereas nowadays, there's about 30 to 50 jobs per year. Um, and there's usually about, I think, 200 applicants, most of whom are kind of quite driven. And so there is quite a competitive nature between those people. But I think it's something that if you prepare for it properly and, you know, you spend, you know, you do your audits and all the other things, these tick box mm. things that you have to do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then, you know, you've got a good chance. And I don't think that should ever put someone off going for something at all. Lots of people kind of, naysay and I had I remember one general surgery registrar saying you'll never get that job without a PhD and the truth is he just didn't know what he was talking about so yeah. I think if you're if you set your kind of hopes on something then you should really go for it and just make sure you ask lots of different people mm. um, because some people don't know what they're talking about and will kind of mislead you yeah yeah so, I mean, obviously, you said you you've started liking anatomy uh, and and possibly surgery as a, as a medical student what's what's different about doing it as a job now as as a surgical registrar what's different to actually doing the job now to what you thought it was as a med student or, or as a foundation doctor um so i think when you're a med student you're learning all the anatomy and you learn about these different surgical techniques and that sort of thing when you're a registrar a lot of your job is about and it's the same when you're a foundation you know and core trainee but it's a, there's a lot of responsibility on you to make sure things are organized, that your mm. patients are kind of optimized for theatre yeah. um, and that everything runs smoothly so that the consultant can have a more of an overseeing role. Um, and so I guess when you're a med student, I, I guess I didn't really think about that side of things, mm. whereas now I'm sort of much more aware that you you really have to be on your A game. You have to know your patients really well. Mm. You have to kind of prioritize them correctly. And you also have to keep an eye on your juniors and make sure that they're sort of keeping your patients all in check. Mm. Um, so there's a lot, they talk about human factors and, mm. um, you know, how you communicate and, and all the kind of non-technical skills. And, and that just becomes more apparent the more you, you kind of get more senior, I think. 
Mm. And I suppose that's 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 reasonably applicable to any any sort of speciality and absolutely you know, yeah any yeah. speciality it's exactly the same you know if you're a med reg leading some kind of crash call it it's all the kind of the same thing so I guess that's the sort of stuff that we are certainly being taught that now mm. especially surgeons I know they've got quite a bad reputation but um, with I think with throughout medicine I think that I expect that they'll bring the human factors thing down mm. kind of down the ladder to the medical students so that they can learn from the off exactly how to kind of mm. be in these situations and how to kind of work well when they start. Yeah, so um, we've sort of talked about surgery generally, but what what sort of is it about plastic surgery that you enjoy the most? What's good about being a plastic surgeon? Oh. Um, that's a tough question. I, I think for me, it's just the fact that you, every operation just seems to be different. And with most operations, you get to bring this creative kind of element of what you're going to do. Mm. So the be- the biggest part of what we do tends to be reconstruction. Um, and that can be of an open fracture of the lower leg where they've had skin loss and muscle loss. Mm. It can be head and neck cancers. It can be kind of facial cancers, although MaxFax do that as well. Um, you can sometimes do chest wall reconstruction for patients who've had uh, cabbage and the wounds fallen apart. Mm. Um, and we also do in Birmingham, they do a lot of sarcoma work, which is big reconstructions of, of large tumours and therefore large soft tissue defects. So I think having that kind of problem solving aspect from an anatomy side of things mm. is what really kind of draws me to the specialty. And the fact that you then have to use that problem solving and anatomy to to fill that space with some new tissue is is kind of what really kind of kind of keeps me enthusiastic about it. So, for example, this week we had a guy who'd had both of his legs. He had open fractures. He had big skin loss around his ankles. And so we took some skin and fat and fascia from his thigh with its Mm. blood supply and we detached that and then we plumbed it into his posterior tibial artery in his, in his ankle. So we've then sort of covered up all the metal work that their orthopedics use to, to fix his ankle. Mm. And I think just being able to do that to me is just, I just still find it really exciting. Um, and I just love that kind of, the kind of problem solving um, mm. and creative. Kind of practical hands-on sort of. Exactly, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a very practical person. So for me, it's kind of like, it's ideal because you get to put all that together mm-hmm. so i suppose people there's lots of different types of plastic surgery you were sort of describing it there and lots of sort of cancer work by the sounds of things as well uh what are the, what are the different types of plastic surgery that that, that uh, there are and what sort of areas are you interested in particular so there's there's lots of subspecialties within the the curriculum and actually that's why i was saying before the podcast there are elements uh, most of the stuff that i learned at medical school a, a lot of that i don't really deal with on a day-to-day basis and all my mm. knowledge is kind of new since core surgical training yeah um so subspecialties we do as i said we do a lot of skin cancer we do trauma, so we particularly do hand trauma, fractures, mm-hmm. tendon injuries, nerve injuries. We also do kind of facial trauma. We do lower limb trauma in combination with orthopedic teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we do sarcoma work that's often in combination with either general surgeons or with orthopedic teams. And then we, ha- we also have burns, 
so we have paediatric and adult burns and again that that usually forms its own subspecialty so we have a separate burns adult and paediatric department in Birmingham in, in two different hospitals mm. um, and again that's you know that's a huge specialty just with it within itself mm. um, and then we also have aesthetic surgery as well so there are people who will go through training and um, they actually then just leave and then it just completely and go and do cosmetic work and mm. um, there are some people that kind of there are some consultants who balance it so they have their cosmetic practice and then they also do some they do some their regular nhs with a bit of cosmetic practice on the side mm. and then some of my consultants um do no cosmetic practice at all mm. so i think there's a bit of a kind of reputation for plastics that they always they're very often surprised to see me and recess at three in the morning because yeah. they that I just do kind of breast augmentation and that sort of thing. Yeah. But actually, um, we, we are a big specialty and we cover a lot of different different aspects. Mm. I think yeah, that's exactly right. I think as a, as a lay person, you, you don't necessarily, if you, I'm sure if you tell friends of yours who aren't medical that you're a plastic surgeon, the assumption is that you're, as, as you say, doing breast augmentation or, you know. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, how, how, that must be, that must be annoying. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it, it's, it is a little bit, because I think sometimes people don't understand kind of what I do necessarily in the day to day, but it's just about explaining it to them. And, you know, I don't really, they can think what they like. I kind of know what I do and I do it because I enjoy it. I don't do it because any what I think other people might think of me yeah um, and so you know even things like we even do breast reconstruction on the nhs and i think some people then get confused about whether or not that is cosmetic surgery or whether it's not and a lot of it is you know ladies who've had breast cancer Absolutely. and then we do you know, yeah so um yeah i guess that there is that kind of stigma but as i say you know i you just kind of let people believe that and and slowly educate the world that we do other things other than facelifts yeah 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 and lots of um sort of crossover work with orthopedics as well i know you know some some hospitals orthopedics deal with the hands and others plastics deal with the hands and things so do they just deal with the but like bones is that what they orthopedic surgeons do i, I have no idea or uh yeah it's interesting actually so in the leg they just deal with the bones and we deal with anything else basically in the hands hands has slowly become its own kind of specialty whereby the orthopedic team and plastics team both do fractures and soft tissue stuff and mm. so um certainly where i work it's a very much a mixed department of orthopedics and plastics mm. and they they all kind of cross over plastics tends to do a bit more reconstructive work so if someone's got a big kind of loss of skin on the back of their hand then we we have ways of dealing with that and mm. um, orthopedics will often take on the more kind of challenging fractures or wrist fractures and um, but there's a lot of crossover and plastics you know we frequently do hand fracture fixation um, mm. and equally orthopedics frequently do kind of nerve surgery and and tendon surgery so yeah hands is one where we we do cross over but in other areas of the body it's very much quite a kind of separate uh, specialty mm -hmm. is it is plastic surgery a run do you do you are you part of general do you do general surgery as well or do you join uh, no, at what so, point do you just do plastic surgery in your training so you just do so i think there are a, there are infrequently there are run-through jobs which are academia related Mm. um 
And to get one of them, you have to very much know the people who are putting that job out. It, it tends to be that you've done a research job in that department and they therefore kind of set that job up for you. The general way of getting into it is that you do core surgical training, which is quite general, and you try and get a couple of plastic surgery jobs in there so that you can build up your numbers for your portfolio on application. Um, and that means getting a bit of hand surgery experience, a bit of burns experience and a bit of skin surgery experience. And then um, from there, you apply to ST3. And that's the main way of getting into plastic surgery. Um, and that's where I was saying there's about 30 to 50 jobs a year at, at the moment. I think. Yeah. Yeah. What's your um, day to day job like? What you know, what, what do you do? Uh, is it mixed between clinics and things? How much surgery do you do in an average week? Yeah, so in an average non-coronavirus pandemic week, yeah. <laughs> I'd say we uh, we there's a certain responsibility for the ward. So in our department, you may do a ward round. We kind of separate the ward round out actually, um, but someone has to do the ward round. You also have clinic responsibilities, so you'd likely have maybe two clinics a week, mm. and then two operating days a week. Um, and then if you're on call, it kind of changes things because if you're on call, you you know you come in at eight or half seven, have your handover, go to the emergency surgery meeting to see what's on the board. And then from there, it's just about kind of dealing with any acute referrals and any acute operating. So anything that we've talked about in terms of trauma um, or any emergency surgeries, that, that's where you get involved. But on a kind of general, more elective week, it would be a couple of clinics, a couple of theatre lists, um, some ward round, and then, yeah, kind of supporting the on-call that sort mm, of thing mm, mm. uh what um are, are there any particular cases that have stuck with you that you've you know particularly sort of changed your outlook on things or, or any sort of plastic surgery cases that's particularly stuck with you that are memorable that you'd be willing to share um to be honest i think it changes as i get more senior because in surgery it's, it's funny when you when you first start you kind of learn to suture the skin and as you go on and you become more senior, you're just given a lot more responsibility for what you can do. Mm. And so, and then obviously, you know, once you can kind of, once they feel that you're capable of doing most things, you can become a consultant. And so I think that changes for me every day. And it's often the more recent cases like this chap whose leg we, we kind of salvaged earlier in the week. It's cases like that that stick with me for a while and then I get to, because I did quite key parts of that case. Mm. Um, and then as I kind of, um, as I become more senior, I get more opportunities where you're kind of taking on more responsibility. And mm. um, because you, for example, if you do a whole operation, that, that really is your responsibility. Mm. So I think that's the sort of thing where I start to feel more responsibilities when I kind of feel that my outlook changes slightly. And because I worked for a guy... You did your surgery. Yeah, because you do this kind of, you know, some of these surgeries are eight hours long. And if you yeah. do key components of that surgery, or if you do the whole surgery, you have start a, to a sense of personal responsibility. Exactly. If it goes right yeah. or wrong. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you also have a kind of, I think, you you know, when you just stitch the skin when you're in SHO, you maybe don't sort of think about seeing that patient in the outpatient clinic. Mm. And feeling the responsibility for that whole case. Whereas when you've done the, when you've seen the patient in the clinic before, booked their operation, done their whole operation, and then, you know, once you've kind of 
seeing them in clinic, you feel a lot more kind of responsibility on that person. Mm. Um, I also worked for a hand surgeon recently um, who is a very kind of methodical, very knowledgeable guy. And he just kind of said to me, you know, when you're going into any operation or starting any treatment, you need your, you've got your plan A, but having your kind of plan B, your plan C, and even a plan D, and what will happen if this all fails, you need to always be thinking that in your head. And I think that's, that's kind of really stuck with me actually since, and I think that would also apply to any, you know, any medical treatment as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you start a medication and it's not working, what are your fallback options? And I think he's helped me to kind of mature quite a lot as a, as a surgical trainee, just by kind of thinking in that way. As, and I suppose as you become more senior, you're um, expected to deal with plan C, D. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, people have obviously tried the basics and are asking you for advice. So, you know, having yeah, so I think you learn plan A and then eventually you sort of are pushed into learning plan B and all the other more mm. difficult plans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there um, a personality type for a plastic surgeon? do you think yeah i do have to be careful i say i think it draws certain personalities i think it's got quite a broad mix um but yeah there are some people who are a bit challenging to deal with um and you know everyone has different priorities um so yeah so some people are really friendly really nice some people have you know certain aspirations and and that kind of affects who they are but I do think the more I kind of I work in a huge hospital with lots of subspecialties and you meet personalities in all of these specialities so I think I think plastics does have its personalities but I do think all other specialties do as well I've met Mm. some real characters over the years across the board I'm sure you have (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah, exactly um what would you recommend to medical students that uh, are potentially interested in, in plastic surgery or even foundation doctors? What would you recommend they do? Any projects they do or, or you know, any way to gain experience? Yeah, so I think it's important to have some focus. But I think it's also important to just keep a relatively open mind. So most of these specialties, particularly in surgery, when you're going for the application for the specialty um, kind of st3 application Mm. they all kind of ask for quite similar things so audits research teaching experience and what operative numbers you have so if you do think about one specialty in particular it's worth looking to find out exactly what is on the st3 application because then it gives you a little bit of focus about what you're going for Mm. and then From there, it is important to get involved in audits because they do ask for that, particularly in plastics. I think you have to have had four audits um, post-core training, post-foundation year. Mm. But having some as a medical student is also helpful because if you do an audit and you present it at a regional or national or even international conference, Mm. that sets you well in terms of your CV looking good. Similarly, for any research or papers, you know, it's worth approaching consultants and finding out if they've got any projects or anything that could be of interest to you um, and something that you could potentially write up and have published. Mm. Um, that, that's a good option. 
and then teaching experience is is also really good and and you know teaching is uh, there's a whole landscape of kind of different opportunities for that it can either just be teaching medical students it can be teaching kind of on a lecture-based system you can do qualifications and then you can also you know do things that are teaching's just evolved so much over the past decade mm. you can do online teaching and and certainly I was kind of lucky enough to know Lewis Potter, medical student, and we we kind of set up Geeky Medics, and he's continued with it. And I've had opportunities through that to teach by doing kind of suturing videos and clinical examination videos. So I think you need to kind of show that you have an interest in kind of providing side topics and you know you basically need to show that you're doing other things that show that you are kind of driven towards that specialty and mm. um, the other thing is the operating experience and if you just go to kind of introduce yourself to surgeons you know and ask to go into theatre we're always happy to have medical students in theatre we're always happy to teach um, and so I think just going up to a surgeon and asking you know do you mind if I come to theatre with you uh, you'd be you know I think it would be unlikely for someone to say no. And if they do say no, walk around the corner and find someone else, and I'm sure they'll say yes. Mm-hmm. What um what uh stuff did you do with Lewis back in the early days of uh, Geeky Medics? Oh god, yeah. I I have this kind of scar uh in my memory of us doing the first video with Andy Pugh and him in this kind of clinical room at James Cook Hospital in Middlesbrough. And it was the first video and we were just constantly giggling about the fact that we were just trying to do this clinical examination with the video. Um, and I'm kind of sat there with my top off absolutely <laughs> freezing as Andy Pugh had to, he probably had to introduce himself to the camera about 25 times. Um, but I think so. It was a really funny experience. But I think what Lewis has done with Geeky Medics has just been absolutely remarkable. Mm. Um and yeah, I did some some videos later down the line with one of my close friends, Rob Adams. And I think by that time, I, I wasn't quite as giggly, but it was still really good fun. It was a good experience. And uh, I mean, you didn't know what it would become. I mean, not at all. No. I mean, there, I mean... The, part of the reason we did it was because we used to always sit around and people would always contest what you had to do in each clinical examination. And there were a few different books that gave you different perspectives. And so I think we just thought if we can kind of make something that gives you a good idea of what a thorough clinical examination is, then mm. that would be that would be good. And as I say, Lewis has just done such a good job of it. The online McLeod's, uh, uh, you know, McLeod's book of uh, examination, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the Bible of, uh, of clinical examination. But that's exactly what Geeky Medics has become. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. What would you say is the most rewarding part of the job? I mean, we've sort of briefly talked about some of the best bits of, but but what would you say is what, you know, the, the best bit of the job that you look back on on a week? Um, I, I think when you have, there are certain patients who are, you know, they're in a lot of trouble. And when you help them and you kind of make them better, and, you know, some of them are so grateful that you just feel like you've made a real impact. And I think that is the thing for me that that kind of it's not just interacting with that patient and knowing that you've kind of helped them, but even their family. Mm. That's kind of the thing that keeps me going. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think it's just when you when you see that difference between someone being really sick 
and then you know quite a few days down the line once you've kind of helped them to get better mm. that that for me is it's still it sounds kind of corny actually but it's still the thing that it kind of just makes you feel like all the other stuff's worth it like drinking that horrible nhs coffee it feels worth it when you've kind of helps on to that point that you know yeah. they're going home and you've made a difference i suppose i hadn't really thought of it but i suppose that is um in in a way the biggest difference between medicine and surgery it, i mean it, to an extent it, it's applicable to both but you are you do something and you change you actually perform surgery on someone and they are better afterwards that's that's quite yeah. a cool you can't with medicine you just well, you tinker with a bisoprolol and he had a bit more furosemide and they're sort of okay by the time they're discharged but you're you're actually doing something and you know you're reconstructing their hand and they're fine at the end of it that's yeah that's kind of cool. yeah i think that's that and that, that's why i kind of like that that you see the change and you kind of see that person you know you, you save a leg and you see them get up and they start walking and you think, yeah, you know what, we've saved you, we've potentially saved you an amputation. And that's, mm. that's a really nice thing to do. And, mm. um, you know, it's not always successful and we don't always have the outcomes that we want. And that the same thing will apply to medicine. Mm. Um, but I think that for me is still the thing that kind of keeps me enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. So. We talked briefly before, um, before we started recording, but, how has COVID affected the training for for juniors? I, I imagine particularly sort of the SHOs and core trainees in surgery, getting the numbers and things must be really tricky. Yeah, it's had a huge impact on the SHOs and I really feel for them because they have essentially in our hospital been redeployed without any kind of discussion, been put on wards and their training has become absolutely nothing. And I think that's it's really difficult and they've not even been consulted by the, the kind of management team at our hospital, which includes doctors, not just, it's not just kind of non-medical managers. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that's been really bad for us equally. You know, we have still had opportunities, um, but it's had a huge impact, particularly on elective work, cancer work, um, certain kind of, well, any, anything else in our specialty, it's essentially the only thing we're really doing is kind of life or limb saving operations or kind of tr- trauma. So it has had a big impact, um, but we just have to kind of carry on doing what we're doing um, and prioritise the people that need it. Yeah. Um, and then know that someday we'll come out the other end and there'll be lots of work to get on with because it's all yeah, waiting it's a, for A lot of elective work building up. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have any other questions. I didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to um, to to say or any other topics you wanted to talk about. Uh, I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a lot, actually, for half an hour. That's quite yeah. good. That's fantastic. Mr. Colin Brewster, thank you very much for joining us on the Geeky Medics podcast. You're more than welcome. I hope it's been useful for people. Thank you again for listening and if you enjoyed the podcast and want to hear more from us please consider subscribing through your podcast provider you can also follow geeky medics on instagram twitter and facebook we'd love to hear from you with suggestions on who you would like to hear from next 
A big welcome to the new producer of the podcast, Emma Harvey. And as ever, thank you to Lewis Potter, our producer as well. Goodbye.